of the great stories was uh, one time I was the OD for the regiment at a higher level. And I had this young lieutenant call me. He was like, hey, sir, I got a donkey in the barracks on the second floor. I don't know how oh they God. did it. And I went over there. And and that's when that experience of being an enlisted guy and then becoming an officer really helped because you just you yeah. gather the ones that you can see that are in charge and you just ask hard, quick questions. You're just like, all right, guys, who's donkey? Let's just get it cleaned up. We may or may not get in trouble. <laughs> I'm on your side. Oh can we just get the donkey off the second deck of the barracks? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even, I would love, you know, this is a logistics podcast. So that's, I mean, we need to get those guys in here. Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast about innovation where I talk to today's leading experts in the transportation and logistics space. Our topics are industry forecasts, company mishaps, and discussions about the overall climate of business. I'm your host, James Peterson. Today is Bart Stevitz. He is a close friend and Marine Corps guy, and he is a director of safety for a Texas-based fuel distribution company. And we're excited to learn more about him, his journey in the space, and see what we can learn from him. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you very much, James, for inviting me. I'm really appreciated it. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this. <laughs> well, you had the week from hell. <laughs> I did. I did. Are you glad to be out on the other side? Uh, you know, it was difficult. We didn't suffer as much from the winter weather. We had power the whole time, knock on wood. But you know what? Moving water around and conserving water is difficult. You, We realize how we take it for granted to Ugh. turn on the tap and just have a cup of tea or boil some pasta or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you're just like, wow. So, And we've all both experienced not having water for long periods of time. So, mm. But I got to tell you that when the water came back on, even with the boil notice, you know, I just closed my mouth and got into the shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could not wait to get a nice hot shower. I took a scalding shower. It was so nice. But uh, so, so, how many horses do you guys have? My wife has four horses, two large ones <laughs> and two ponies. There was a plan originally, which will probably come to fruition really soon, for some type of therapeutic riding. My wife is mm. a certified and licensed therapeutic rider and everything of that nature. But it's a lot of fun. I actually, she has one pony for myself, Marmite. <laughs> who's my PTSD pony. Oh, there you and, go. <laughs> uh, he's my buddy. He's like yeah. a huge, great dame, like, but like Marmaduke times three. So <laughs> he follows me around the pasture. It's pretty funny. Well, I'm glad you guys made it out the other end of the ice storm in one piece. You know, I hate to have to scramble last minute to replace a guest because you guys froze or something. So <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> glad you, you made it. Wood. A lot of people had it a lot worse. We're just lucky. And uh, I'm just happy we made it. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, let's let's start like big picture. A lot of people are the safety people, but what does that even mean? What do you do? What do you consider your role within the company? So for the safety person at the basic level, it is, you know, does everyone have their PPE? Are we wearing steel toe boots if needed and everything of that nature? Do the employees know what being safe on this particular job site or in their responsibility is? But in the other half, I believe it's also a person who listens and takes ideas and kind of bridges between the guys and gals at the lowest level up to management because and ownership because you have the ear of management and ownership. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, hey, from a safety perspective, this piece of equipment isn't doing what it's not doing, but they're not getting heard. So 
That's one of the things. And then from a training perspective, the integration of safety into training, especially for new employees, and then refresher training for those that have been at a company for a long time who have been stagnated or possibly the ones at your company that are like, I've been here long enough. I can no longer be taught anymore. Mm. That's kind of a (laughs) safety thing that you got to come in there as the safety guy and go, I got it. You're one of our most senior employees at this company, but let's review some of the things we do to ensure that you continue to be safe. So I kind of like the fact leadership training and kind of a bridge in between the employees at the entry level up to the top of the company. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, but so you mentioned leadership, which makes me think about your time in the Marine Corps. So how long were you in the Marines? So I did 20 years in the Marine Corps. I enlisted in January of 1996. I spent two and a half years enlisted, put in my paperwork, and was con- it was lucky enough to get selected to go to OCS and become an officer in the summer of 98. And then I spent the last 17 years of my career as an officer. Spent the whole time in the infantry, enlisted guy, was heavy machine guns, and then was lucky enough to become an infantry officer and had infantry experiences from the PFC Lance Corporal level at a mm-hmm. fire team to one of my last jobs was the XO second in command of an infantry battalion. So about 900 guys and everything in between. Also during my time in the Marine Corps, I spent some time in recruiting. So I've got six years recruiting time and I did three years in Quantico Marine Corps combat development, writing pubs and writing technical manuals and everything of that nature. So a whole breadth of stuff. So you have experience with young people doing really dumb things. This is unfortunately <laughs> true. There may have been more, one or two stories of me being an OOD officer of the day at the barracks and trying to hold young Marines that may have had one too many drinks from <laughs> there's a good win, sir. I'll be all right with this poncho liner from the third deck. No, son, you're not. Step away from the ledge. Come back over here. One of the great stories was uh, one time I was the OD for the regiment at a higher level. And I had this young lieutenant call me. He was like, hey, sir, I got a donkey in the barracks on the second floor. I don't know how they did it. And I went over there. (laughs) And and that's when that experience of being an enlisted guy and then becoming an officer really helped. Because you just gather the ones that you can see that are in charge. And you just ask hard, quick questions. You're just like, all right, guys, who's donkey? Let's just get it cleaned up. We may or may not get in trouble. <laughs> I'm on your side. Oh Can we just get the donkey off the second deck of the barracks? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even, I would love, you know, this is a logistics podcast. So that's, I mean, we didn't get those guys in here <laughs> to learn how you actually got a donkey uh, on the second floor. That's, that's amazing. Wasn't expecting that. So you got 20 years of leadership training and experience and expertise you know how to deal with young people doing really stupid things, which seems like the perfect training for a, a director of safety. You know, especially when you think about your role, like it's not just a trucking uh, company, right? It's not just logistics. I mean, it's oil field service too, right? Like, so you got drivers who are getting out and on the pad site, on the the frac side, the drill site, walking around. That's correct. And one of the things is not only do we deliver fuel, but we deliver lubricants and other the services in between. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, anything that that a a driller or fracker on a frac site would need, we can provide that. 
And yes, so now you have employees that are not only in charge of getting fuels onto the frack site, they're also probably going to deliver one or two pallets of, you know, 5W20 or DEF or some other lubricant that that employee needs, that the customer needs, sorry. So there are different requirements for the hauling of that and then the offloading of that. You know, something as simple as training an employee to put a piggyback uh, forklift, one of those forklifts that hangs off the back of a long truck, how to properly hooking that up, using it on uneven terrain in, a, on a, in the desert or on a, a fueling location and stuff like that, and then ensuring that it's properly hooked back up on that truck so then he or she can drive to the next location. Mm. So, yeah, those are all the kind of challenges that you have from a safety standpoint. Okay, so you start there. I'm very interested to know the state of things when you got there. Why don't we start with that? The company had been along for a long time and things were going very well. They, they had a plan in place and they were doing the correct things. And one of the things that needed to happen, which we immediately did, was just an audit and a recognition of, hey, this training is here. This training is good. It just needs some updating and meaning some rewriting, some newer pictures. There's some newer terminology. Some of the requirements from the government have changed, and that needed to be updated. And the other thing was possibly just a walk around. A lot of people, we get into our jobs, we do things on a daily basis, and we get into a rhythm. And then once in a while, someone's got to come in there and upset that rhythm and not from a terrible disciplinary, you're doing it wrong, you don't know what you're doing, but just from an outside view to say, hey, this is new, this has changed, we're doing this now, let's implement some new things. This piece of equipment for PPE has changed. Here's a newer version of this technical manual as to how to do this one thing. Let's implement it, let's retrain it, let's try to avoid pushback from those employees that have been here the longest this is how we've done it for the last 18 years here. I got it, but things have changed. And that's one of the things that we immediately took into place. And the other thing from a paperwork standpoint is the continual changes in a employee's HR record book from a uh, standpoint of having certification, licensing, medical documentation, continual audits of that. That's something that we imposed, well, not imposed, but looked at and tightened up. It just needed to be tightened up. And they had been without a head of safety for quite some time. And they just needed someone at the top to push down and to help with them getting these things done. Interesting. I have a lot of questions. Okay. So were you given a mandate by the owner when you were hired or did you face a lot of pushback from the people from the top when you were when you were starting this process. No, that I was lucky enough that they had a list of things they wanted to accomplish. Mm. But as Marines and as someone who's done operations towards the end of my career, everything comes when when it comes to branch plans and branch plans and sequels. Branch plans and sequels. It's a classic problem of what happened to us in Iraq. Okay, mm. we defeated the Iraqis. We've taken over the country. It was a classic problem of what, what we found out in Iraq. We won the war. We defeated Saddam's army. Now what? <laughs> so those are called branch plans and sequels. Somebody has to be able to look at the problem, 
from almost the way we did in the Marine Corps, from a red cell perspective, mm -hmm. from the enemy's perspective, because the enemy gets a say in every battle in the history <laughs> Funny how of the that world. works. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the same thing at work. And in the corporations, safety, you know, getting injured is the enemy, right? Having a horrible spill of thousands of gallons of your product is the enemy. And you have to look at it from that red cell enemy perspective and then help your fellow employees who don't have this mindset because, you know, mm -hmm. we as Marines, as military vet veterans, we have that mindset because we're concerned about what's in the next building or what's over the next hill. And, but getting people to think like that takes some time and getting them to ask those questions by themselves where you don't have to prod them all the time. Well, now what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's mm -hmm. going to happen? What's really going to happen if we don't dog ear this valve down? And then put that Velcro strap around it nice and tight and the, the valve breaks or the seal goes. I mean, how can we avoid that? You can avoid that by taking the 10 seconds to get a Velcro strap, Velcroing around that valve and, and helping it stay shut. But that's something that has to be taught and it has to, you have to tell the employees that it's in their best interest, mm. their own personal best interest to get that done. And that was my question is, you know, we're, we're on the Marine Corps allegories at this point. So, you know, that's, I, I would see that similar to trying to convince a PFC that it's in his own best interest to not take a donkey up to the second deck. Right. Like, so did, how did you transition from telling a Marine, Hey, you know, I'm the battalion XO, you're going to do this because I'm a major and you're in deep shit if you don't to, Maybe getting some guy who's been in the space for 20 years, he's been driving or whatever at your company. And, and how do you get his buy-in? What's that conversation like? The, it has to start with here at our company, this is our standard operating procedure, our SOP, and our policy to take care of this action or to deliver this or to offload this or to drive our equipment in this manner. Here's a policy letter. Here's a training, a training session that you attended, and here's your signature that you were trained to our policy. And so this is how we do things at our company from now on until we change it. If you as the employee have a better way, then you know the safety guy's office is always open. All you got to do is come in there and tell me, hey, I think we should do this this way. We'll sit down with the manuals, OSHA and everything of that nature, DOT, whatever it takes, and see if we can change it. And then that'll be great because now that employee, you've truly created buy-in. That employee believes that it's in his best interest to bring some, his or her best interest to bring something new to the game from a safety standpoint. But it has to start with, in my mind, this is our policy. This is the way we do things at our company. Here's the training you received so that you know how to do it this way. Here's your signature, your signature that you received that training. And now that you understand, that's how we do it. That's, that was very well put. So if you were, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're, you own 50 trucks and you have some safety issues, but you know, you might think what you're saying is important. I mean, you mentioned doing an audit. How does, how does someone who owns a company like that, or what, what would you suggest as a good starting spot for actually doing a, a safety audit? The same thing we saw in our units in the Marine Corps, 
leadership by walking around. You always saw the sergeant major and the battalion commander or the master guns from supply walking mm-hmm. around the space. In the field, yeah, I'm sure multiple times you looked up and a battalion, you were <laughs> right on there. some yeah. training range, going down range with your weapon, live ammunition, going to the objective, lieutenant and the sergeant was yelling at you and you looked up, the battalion sergeant major is right here. He came out of nowhere. <laughs> I didn't like a ninja, right? Yeah. So that's called leadership by walking around. And I would challenge all business owners in, and I know they're wicked, wicked tasks saturated and they're trying to run their companies and they're doing, they're dealing with their lawyers and they're dealing with their accountants and everything like that. But once in a while, at undisclosed times, at undisclosed locations, mm-hmm. you need to show up, yeah. and watch and observe. And since your employees unfortunately don't get to see you as much because you're so task saturated, you can kind of hide and blend into the background and really observe what's going on in your company. You know, you mm. don't have to be festooned in all of your company logoed stuff. Just wear what's required from a safety standpoint for that location. You know, and you can bring your clipboard and your employee is going to be like, I don't know who that is. It's just another guy with a clipboard, another gal with a clipboard, mm-hmm. right? So leadership by walking around is the number one thing. And then management buy-in starts with as the owner of your corporation, company, business. When was the last time you sat down with your safety staff or your operations staff and said, when was the last time we looked at these policies? Or I read an article somewhere about this piece of equipment. What have we thought about putting that piece of equipment on our trucks, on our equipment? So it starts with leadership walking around and then leadership by walking around and then engagement with those people that you've hired, you've hired, you're paying on a daily basis to see what they think and what they've accomplished. Mm -hmm. So. This isn't an interview, but you keep saying things that make me ask, have more questions and and keep bringing things up because, you know, I have one client who practices leadership by walking around and I don't even think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's just heavily vested in his company and his hires. He has a reputation for retaining drivers for the duration, right? As long as that driver wants to stay there. But he's notorious for popping up on frack sites and, and or, or whatever because he's a sand hauler. Going back to you starting at the company, what were your what were your safety metrics? Like, did you create anything? Did you re- reinvent the wheel whenever you were trying to decide if if a program or policy or procedure needed to be revamped? There are some things we did work on and create more online training just to make sure that the drivers had the ability and, and the employees had the ability to get these things done on their own times and everything in the nature. An update of requirements on a truck, update of the trucks themselves from an equipment standpoint. Some of the older trucks and the older equipment, they're great trucks and they can do their job hauling our stuff up and down the road. From a, from a technical, technologically standpoint, they're a little bit outdated. So those, those things had to be updated. The, the thing I'd like to go back to, though, is the stagnation. All companies know how to do safety. All companies want to do safety because it's in their best interest, but it gets stagnated. That's why there's so many safety consultants and risk consultants out there that can come out and give you that bird's eye view of what's going on in your company and what just needs to be tweaked and changed. I'm a big fan of not recreating the wheel. Everybody has a policy 
on letter uh, on their company. Everybody has an idea how they want to do this biz this business. But when was the last time that somebody got into that office on that shelf, opened up that dusty three ring binder, and see really what that says? Because then you're going to start reading some of the stuff that's in your company, and you'll be like, "Last time anybody opened this was 1978." <laughs> that's a problem. That's a yeah. problem, right? So you don't really have to create stuff. Things need to be updated. And yes, as technologies change and as requirements from the government, from OSHA, state and local agencies change, yes, those things need to be created. But the basics of safety are all the same. They just need to be continued to rehash, retaught, and enforced to all of our employees. So let me let me ask the same question based on that answer. Whenever you're deciding what to update, whether you're, what does a policy, whenever you're deciding if it needs to be updated, I mean, how did you make that decision? What were your metrics that you looked at? What was your process like? You know, if someone's listening to this podcast and they might be doing the same safety process at their company now, or they might be stagnated, I mean, I think that people would probably like to hear your thought process and how you went about accomplishing your mandate. Possibly start from the top of, is this a requirement from local, state, and federal employees? Okay, this is a new requirement, and they're giving us a three to six month grace period to implement this requirement. So obviously, this will have to take priority. Number two, is this safety change that we have to make do we have to make it because we've had, unfortunately, an employee injury and we now need to do a root cause analysis, step back and see what's going on and what, as to why this happened? Number three, possibly we've introduced a new piece of equipment that while some employees have seen, not everyone has seen, which means the whole company business needs to be retrained on this piece of equipment. Oh, man. And then number four. And this is a big one as a smaller company that you're, if you're a subcontractor, you're working for the big boy companies, they continue to push safety requirements from on high. The big boy oil companies, the big boy corporations, and unfortunately at the, at the entry level, the smallest company, you bear the cost of that. Something is simple on a, on an oil site, let's say that all of a sudden you got 200 employees and one of the big boy oil companies that you're working for has decided that. Come March 1st, everyone's going to wear a four-gas monitor. Four-gas monitors are 300 bucks a piece. Exactly. Or if not more, depending on pricing and everything, that, that's mm -hmm. just a ballpark price. Now I got to buy 200 of them by the 1st of March? Exactly. So you take your hints uh, from a you know, federal government, local, state level. Then you have the requirements from your corporations, your customers. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, first and foremost for me would be do we have to fix something immediately? Because if not, our employees are going to get injured or, or possibly worse. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good starting plan. That's a pretty good action model. So what is your, speaking of uh, new, new requirements, regulations, what do you guys' uh, telematics look like? We're, we're doing, we're using, obviously, for to manage drivers' hours of service. Mm -hmm. We do have an app that the, the, the drivers are using, which again, goes back to a secondary problem immediately by introducing an app. It's very easy to go tell your employees, hey, download this app to use it to manage your hours of service. And there's multiple different products across 
for that. Let's speaking of hours of service. But what about one of those employees of yours that's a great employee, he's getting his hours and everything in that nature, but he's made a decision to do a pay-as-you-go cell phone, right? Mm. And now you're telling him or her to be on their cell phone the whole time to manage their hours of service while they're driving that truck for you. Mm. So there's an immediately an extra expense for you as a business owner because now I got to give this employee the possible a cell phone allowance or something of that nature or Mm. provide them with an in-truck telematics system, which then immediately ups your cost as the business owner to have that screen bolted into that truck at all times so that they can use it for their hours of service. Mm -hmm. And then cameras, doing the reading and seeing what's out there in the industry, more and more companies, the big companies, big corporations are having cameras in their systems and then in their trucks. And the cameras face the driver and obviously the camera face the nose of the truck. And you can even add cameras to the wing mirrors and to the back of your truck. Also, as you see in the big RVs that you can't Mm -hmm. see, so they got trucks and, and local buses. I believe that soon, very soon, to include us in our personal vehicles, cameras will become the norm. Yeah. And it's something that when you introduce it into your company and into your fleet of trucks, regardless of what your number is, the number one thing you have to remember speaking to your truck drivers, your employees is, even if you put it in regular pickup trucks and passenger cars and everything of that nature is, we're not doing the 1984 big brother thing by putting these cameras in these trucks. We have put these cameras in the trucks and cars for your protection and the safety of our customers and the safety of everybody else. Mm -hmm. You have to get buy-in from your staff and your employees about these camera systems. And that means also you as the owner or management, you need to get one in your truck also Mm -hmm. or your car and everything of that nature. So they can see it. The employees can see that everybody the safety manager, the accounting manager, the HR manager, if they're allowed some kind of car allowance or company trucks or anything of that nature, they have the cameras too. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the camera systems, one of the ones we're thinking about using is has an app or has the ability for the drivers to log into the system so that when you tell the driver, hey man, I saw the other day, you did about 15 miles on the open road. You didn't have your seatbelt on. No, I had my seatbelt on the whole time. Why don't you look at this email? Let you look at this text and everything like that. And it can they can then see that, okay, I got it. But there has to be a, when you start putting these cameras or telematics and into your trucks, there has to be a period to where there's a training period. And then again, company policy letter, mm-hmm. company training period, signature of employee. Now this is how we do business in our company. Mm. So, And you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for turnover, a higher level of turnover. Because there are some drivers and semi-employees that just won't have it. And we're seeing a a ton of pushback from some of my clients when I talk them to putting uh, driver-facing cameras in their trucks. There's The drivers hate that. Right. Nine out of 10 drivers really resist that. And one of the other, the the drawback, well, not drawbacks, but one of the things um, that you'll have to consider as management, when you put cameras in your truck is, you have to have a plan in place for training and discipline. Just let's just say for the sake of discussion, driver A has an incident where he's not, where he's using their cell phone or doesn't, isn't wearing their seatbelt on Monday. Mm -hmm. 
you get that most of these systems will send you an email that the driver is doing something that they shouldn't be doing per the parameters that you've set in the system. You don't do anything about it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, that driver has an accident where he seriously happened, injures somebody on the road. Mm. You have to then play this, and this is branch plans and sequels and red cells. What's the first thing that the law firms are going to want to see? <laughs> yep. All the video. And then they're going to see the video from the driver doing something bad on Monday. And mm. they're going to ask you for what? Where's the paperwork? From the training or the disciplinary action? We didn't do that. I mean, you, you got these, these trucking tort and trucking liability attorneys, and they are vicious. No offense to any of you attorneys out there, but the second that you guys have an accident, I mean, you've, you probably know from experience at this point, I mean, they're going through everything. That is correct. You know, and you have to be an open book. So whenever it comes to trucking company owners not wanting telematics, I, I say that it should be the other way around. You, you should want as much documentation within your company as absolutely possible. Absolutely correct. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone recently about giant jury award in Florida and it was over $400 million. And when I was reading this, I was like, oh man, this thinking like one of these massive, like nationally, even globally known trucking companies. And I look them up on safer and it is a LLC that had one truck. So it's essentially Joe blow truck driver wanted to LLC instead of being an owner operator. And now he has a $400 million award on him. They'll never collect that. That's it. They'll never collect that. But the attorney is, he's, that's going to be on a billboard. That's going to be on his website. And, you know, any step that you can take to protect yourself from these predatory attorneys, especially if you built your company from scratch, you know. And then the telematics are not only going to help you in that instance and stuff like that, but there are secondary, as we know in the military, secondary and tertiary effects of what's going to happen. You are going to hopefully see a decrease in maintenance. You are going to hopefully see an increase in fuel, fuel economy and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Because the drivers over time, again, through training, retraining, and the continually telling of your drivers, hey, this is good for you. It's good for the company. It's good for all of us. They're going to start being better drivers, whether they realize it or not. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a subconscious thing. You know, it's like it's like how we are now after being in the Marine Corps. Mm. Can you walk on a, a piece of ground in front of you? And if there's a piece of trash, can you not pick it up? I have to pick it up. I have to pick it up. I have exactly. to pick it up. I have to pick it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the subconscious training that you've received yeah. that you hope to achieve through behavioral based safety. Mm -hmm. and just safety in general at your company, right? Yeah. I have to check these lights on this truck. <laughs> I have to make sure that I get all my water bottles and fast food bags from the floor of the truck because DOT inspection, state trooper, when they open the a cab of an 18-wheeler, what are their eyes level with? The floor mm -hmm. of the truck. So if they see that the floor of the truck is free of soda cans and water bottles and trash bags from fast food things – they could possibly think, well, this guy or gal has done taking care of the rest of this truck also. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give him a pass today, right? Yeah. So, and that's um, a huge assumption, though, from, from a cop, a DOT inspector standpoint. Yeah, but, you, you know, I think, I think you're making a lot of sense. I mean, if, you're, if you open it up and there's 
crap everywhere, then why would you not assume that that person treats their their rig like crap too? Yeah, they know? haven't checked their air brakes. They haven't checked their hoses. Yeah. They haven't checked their lights in the back. Like mm -hmm. something as simple as that little blankety blank white light above the license plate in the back, right? Mm. When was the last time you took your finger and tried to get all the mud off of it so you can see it, right? Yeah. Because the cops like, hey, you know, and then unfortunately, if you're a bigger company, you get a name for yourself. If you're operating in smaller towns, smaller mm. uh, counties and stuff like that, oh, there's one of those trucks from Let's that get company. Em. Let's go get them. Yeah. That's another 400 bucks guaranteed. <laughs> so what would you say... I don't know how much you've thought about this. But what do you think? What do you think the biggest lessons that you learned in the Marine Corps? What do you think the biggest ones are that you've been able? Let me let me ask that a different way. Twenty years in the Marine Corps, did a lot of shit. You saw a lot of things. What translated well for you in your current role? One of the things we take for granted in the military, and that you can immediately use as a former military member is diversity and not just diversity of our skin color of our fellow employees and fellow Americans and stuff like that. Yeah, we all served with African-Americans and Asian-Americans and Indian-Americans and Americans from all over the United States to include foreign guys. How many guys you knew in the Marine Corps that left foreign countries? I mean, jo join the yeah. Marine Corps, right? But the other part of that diversity coin is a diversity of experiences and locations and education levels mm. and common sense levels mm. due to the way they were brought up throughout the, the, the wealth of your company. So you've got a company with 200, 300 employees, correct? Or 50 employees. Not every single employee's got a high school education. education. Not every employee has got a college education. Not every employee has been brought up in the standard issue 3.5 member family home, right? With Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and church on Sunday, right? So you mm. have this wealth of diversity in your workforce. One of the things I think we have the advantage as military guys, and, and I, I got it, a bunch of civilians will disagree, but is that we had to tailor our daily conversations and leadership styles and the way we navigated the company mm. office, as opposed to, I know I was going to talk to this this young man, this young Marine and stuff like that. I kind of remember about this, about his family and stuff like that. So when I get him to get, get this or this done, I kind of got to phase it this way and everything of that nature. Oh, next next week I got to go down the hall, talk to division or regiment or the general and stuff like that, which means now I got to up my game and use big words and everything of that nature. Mm. So and at a, at a company, especially, you know, an oil company, you've got that from all across the spectrum. And I think we as Marines and other military members. Well, let's not give the rest of the military too much credit. Too much credit. I think yeah. we we really discontinue how much we can go up and down the spectrum of our fellow Americans in, in those things. Not just skin diversity, but just diversity of life. That is pretty funny how one day you would be uh, working with someone who you know, maybe lived out in the, in the bayou in Louisiana and you could barely understand him, you mm -hmm. know, and then especially after nine 11 happened, it seemed like the next week you were working with someone from Harvard who didn't want to be an officer, but saw the towers fell and want to do something about it. Correct. You know, that's, that's a really good point. You know, I think that really, that helps with your framing a lot too, right? Mm -hmm. With how you're telling someone that this is the way it's going to be going forward. I mean, knowing, knowing your audience and then being able to lean on that diversity that you 
experience in the military, it's got to be helpful. Yeah, it's something as simple as online training. Everything's online right now. You can hire multiple different companies to manage your online training for your company, or you can do it internally. But you also have to remember that not all of your employees know what to do when that damn pop-up comes up every time, right? How to get around it to continue, mm-hmm. right? Or that you ha- to refresh, you can press F5 or something of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know that. And then we also, you also, okay, I assigned you this online training. Well, I got it. You at the management level, you probably know how to navigate a laptop or a desktop. But if mm. you even ask your employee if they have their own laptop or desktop, and then that mm. goes back to simple of, well, now we got to set up a training station or a training room in your company and stuff like that, where you have these assets available so that your employees who only got their one phone, and oh, by the way, they're doing pay as you go from some big box store card, right? And now you're going to require them or him or her to do 45 minutes of online training. That's not, you know, mm. those are, and that goes back to what we've been saying two or three times, branch plans and sequels. Who sat down and thought through, thought through that, you know, Hey, we're going to sign online training. Well, do you have anywhere for an employee that doesn't have a laptop to sit? No, we don't. Okay. We'll go out and get some laptops, set up a nice training room, you know, with a little coffee machine and maybe some free Cokes and stuff like that. So the employees can come in there. And the IT department can set up the laptop so it only goes to the websites you want it to go to. Mm-hmm. They're in, they're out. And then possibly even a little training diagram as to this is how to save something as an Adobe PDF. Mm-hmm. Immediately send it to the safety department. Hit print. It'll come on on that printer. You can keep yourself a copy. And then, oh, by the way, keep a copy of the certificate on your cloud. So mm-hmm. when you go to that industrial work site and that company man or person in charge of safety be like, have you finished our company's training? Boom. Yeah. So that has to be trained. That has to be taught to our fellow employees. I think if you're consistent with how you approach things, it's it's probably it probably makes the buy-in easier on their part. Like if they know that you guys are going to be consistent with how you empower them to get the training done and you're not going to be unreasonable, that probably makes them more receptive to the idea of training. And your employees know that you're you're vested in their best interest. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not just the guy or gal that shows up wearing your gloves. Why aren't you wearing steel toe boots? Why don't you yeah. have your protection on? You know. Yeah. So, what was COVID like for you guys? Uh, it was difficult out on the in the in the hinterlands out there where they're uh, getting the oil out of the ground and stuff like that. Especially in the smaller spaces and then the the equipment that's small. You know, rooms half this size where you're trying to operate equipment. So guys were wearing their mask as much as possible. But one of the things I recommend is that you go and buy your employees if possible. Understanding budgets are tight and everything of that nature. But the take ones, right? Let them get hand sanitizer. Let them get some wipes. Hey, man, here's some extra bottles of spray disinfectant and everything of that nature. You know, we're going to uh, up our game when it comes to the company that comes in to clean our office spaces, we're going to ask them to come in one more time a week to do just a disinfectant, right? And something of that nature. And then the other thing is it continual updates and information. There's a lot of information going around about COVID, but they, everybody says they know where to get it. But until you kind of send out an email or put some things on the wall, be like, hey, check out this state website, take out the CDC website. I know I spent a lot of time putting up CDC posters all, <laughs> yeah. all over the workspace, right? <laughs> Just something as simple. And then 
the message. Keep pushing the message. Continue to wash your hands because it's good. Even now that things are getting better, continue to wash your hands. Continue to do the right things. So, so you guys were able to able to keep running and during during the entire thing. It's like that. It's like the uh, that movie Dune, the the original one, not the one that's coming out now, where Paul Atreides said the spice must flow, the oil <laughs> must flow, right? Yeah, it never stops, man. <laughs> it never stops, especially after we just had all these all these windmills freeze over there. Let's not go down. Let's not go down that that path. But that's that's really cool. I, I one of my favorite things in, uh, to do is to talk to a Marine who had a great career and and see what their transition was like and and what lessons they t- they took away and how they're applying those lessons today. You know. So you had some experience with the, were you at the staff college? No, the only the, the only big schools I did was uh, Expeditionary Warfare School, which was the finishing school for uh, captains. And then you do Amphibious Warfare, but I did it box of books. They actually send you this huge box and you got to do it yourself. And you call oh in, God. yeah, you call in and you have uh, kind of do some online conferences and stuff like that. So I did, I, I did that. But from a schooling perspective, schooling is continuous. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, too, as adults at our age and stuff like that, continuing your education, especially in the safety side. I tried to every day go to the OSHA website. They have a quick takes thing where they send you an email, browse through that email, make sure you're reading some stuff. And then, you know, get on your favorite news browser and type in safety, you know, every other day to see what's going on. Mm. And just do a quick read of those and you'll be surprised what's coming up. There are a multitude of companies that will come in for big money and, you know, chain you on their latest government changes and everything of that nature. I would argue that you could find that information yourself if you just need to look. Yeah. Know where to look. Yeah. It's interesting. Speaking of education, I have 11 days until I'm done with the TCU EMBA. I'm proud of you, man. I'm I really am proud of you. That's awesome. So tired of school. So I might take a break from getting an education for a while. You know, it's been a long, long journey. You know, so. it, it, it has to happen. And you can use it at a small company if you can afford it, understanding education as a benefit, you know. Have your employees go to these websites to get their certs and then throw them a Benny. Throw them mm-hmm. a gift card throw them, uh, you know, something for their family or something like that. Incentivize it. Carrot to the stick. Carrot to the stick. Something as simple as American Red Cross first aid CPR. It's a great idea for every family to have one or two individuals trained, properly trained and stuff like that on CPR, first aid. So if something happens and everything of that nature, Mm. why not incentivize it at your company? If you get your first aid or CPR certificate through the American Red Cross, we're going to give you a one-time $200 $200 check or something, whatever mm. your company kind of thing. But I think incentivizing training is important too. What's the best way that you've seen to incentivize these drivers? So uh, in the oil field, I believe it's money because that's okay. why the guys go to West Texas because that's where the money is. Whoa. You don't go to West Texas for the upscale shopping? No, no. You don't go for the fine dining? And no. You don't go for the the nice hiking, the sweltering heat, the no hill to be seen for miles and miles and miles? And then the second part of that is transferable. A certificate or a completion something from a, you know, 
a known website that they can take with them, something as simple as a PEC or Veriforce card, right? It's that they can take with them to their next job if they decide or that they can mm-hmm. add to their resume. I think that's important too. You mentioned buy-in. That's that's buy-in from the company, company level. That's correct because that's right? going to take some money. Um, yeah. Getting your employees a higher level of training, you know, most most uh, employers will tell you, but then they're just going to leave. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a mm. that's a em, employees are going to leave without even doing that. Mm-hmm. And yes, you've spent money on training, but you're protecting yourself and your company, and then you have documentation that you had an active training safety program. It's not it, it's not always about top line and bottom line revenue, right? At some point, you're also doing something good for your drivers, right? You are enabling them, empowering them. So who cares if if they move on in six months? You've still given that guy some higher level safety training, guy or girl, higher level safety training. That might save someone's life down the road. Exactly. And, and then they're not going to talk ill about you at their next job yeah. or anything. That Protects your reputation. Yeah. A couple of questions before we wrap up. So whenever you started in your role, what are some mistakes and missteps that you made that, that people can learn from who are listening to this podcast? As a military veteran, especially as an infantry Marine, we have to realize that people don't snap and pop, especially as Marines. You know, <laughs> yeah. you have to realize and you have to step back and put your civilian hat on and go, it's going to happen but it can't happen through force of will like we understood in the infantry. Right? Mm-hmm. This is going to happen because Gunny said it's going to happen. And if not, he's going to have our ass. Let's mm-hmm. go get it done, right? That's not mm-hmm. how it works in the civilian sector whatsoever. I mean, you were a battalion XO. So, I mean, <laughs> you got your way. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you know, Major Lesnevich, uh, he got whatever he wanted when he wanted, you know, and I bet that was a pretty big shock for you, huh? It was a huge shock, a huge shock. And then one of the other things that you have to overcome is, and this has to be put delicately, but everyone has their lane in the civilian sector. And, you know, this is going to be difficult to say. We knew what our lane was from a job perspective, but we would go out of our lane if something needed to get done because the mission needed to be accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Commander's intent and all of that. And I know this is going to cause huge consternation. And so thought, controversial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the civilian sector, and I've been in the civilian sector now four and a half years, people are, they have their lane and that's it. I mean, yeah. That's not on my offer letter. That's not in my job's description. Mm. That's not in my things. And those employees that you find that will do outside their job description, outside their lane, those are the ones you really got to clue in on. And those are the ones you really got to um, say, okay, this is somebody we need to move up the ladder. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, this is someone that we need to husband and mentor and make better for the good of our company and for the good of that individual. So those are the two things that you really have to, as a military guy, and it's not going to happen right now because that's not how the civilian sector works. And oh, by the way, if it's not on their offer letter and it's not part of their paycheck, they ain't doing it. <laughs> I I still have not come to terms with that philosophy or ideology. I I think if you work for a company, anything that you do to contribute to that company is worth doing. Right. You just do it good a few times, and then you can you can argue for better remuneration based on your performance. But that's a really good answer. Those are both exactly right. 
So what advice do you have for someone who is is transitioning from the Marine Corps into the private sector? For all of our fellow veterans that are going to join us as civilians, number one, make sure your money house is in order. You don't realize the advantages you have with that military paycheck, family medical, you know, dental and all that stuff. Make sure you sit down with somebody that's been out for a while or with your financial advisor and talk to them about that. Number two, they ha- you have to dial back your bull in a china shop. You, you just got to. <laughs> you have to because the, 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 the civilians are going to look at you like, oh, my gosh. As opposed to you're just operating at your normal yeah. level, right? Yeah. At all times. <laughs> well, whenever you figure out how to do that, let me know because yeah. I'm <laughs> – I'm still working on it. You should, do, you should get my wife in here and she'll tell you that I still haven't turned it off or my children. They'll tell you the same thing. And then the, the two other things. I made a huge mistake. And when it comes to personally from a PT, from a physical fitness standpoint, I went cold turkey and now I'm paying for it. And, <laughs> and the fourth thing is you can't walk away from the military, again, cold turkey. You got to mm. have that network, this network that we have here in Fort Worth. I mean, mm. to see, seeing your success and the success of the guys in our network continues to help me on a daily basis. It elevates the success of my children and my family's success and my, you know, tribe's mm. success. But continuing to see your guys' success and know that it's some small, small, insignificant way I'm helping that, that's important. That's important. I couldn't agree more, not about my success, but about seeing fellow, fellow veterans, especially Marines being, we're both Marines. We're always going to have such a soft spot in our hearts for them, but to watch someone transition and to find themselves and to start to actually turn into a civilian and just take off is it's empowering. Even if it's not yours, it's still part of your close network. So it kind of feels like yours. But I always, I always try really hard to surround myself with people who are being successful, right? So that's a, that's a great tip. Look, man, I'm glad you came in. No, I really appreciate this. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. I was terrified of this when I was getting my notes together. <laughs> you <last> are <laughs> very prepared over there. That's fantastic. <laughs> but it, I had a Glamorangi single mall 13 year. And I was on my counter and I was going to bring it for you. And I was like, well, well, hell, if I just give this to Bart, his wife's just going to drink it. This is <laughs> so, true. This is true. <laughs> maybe next time if you come back, we'll, I'll, I'll bring it. We can crack the bottle here on, on the air and stuff. It'll be fun. But I appreciate it. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they, if someone wants to learn about your approach to safety or they want to know about what you guys can do for them on the fuel distribution front, how do, what do they do? Uh, I have a LinkedIn page. Bart Lishnevitz. It's okay. probably the only Lishnevitz on the whole of LinkedIn. <laughs> and obviously they can contact you and uh, get my contact yeah. information. I'll be more than happy to talk to them. Uh, and please mention that you heard about it through this podcast. And I'll be more than happy to sit down and talk to you and uh, give you my thoughts. You might not be expert, but they're my thoughts. <laughs> Great. On, on that note, this has been Blind Spots with Bart Lishnevitz. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you found the conversation informative. Please feel free to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast channel. And as always, any ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated. For more information on today's guest, visit blindspotpodcast.com.